Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we're qualified London Blue Badge tourist guides. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London podcast and on our websites, ladieswholondon.com. Oh, yeah, you're not doing yours anymore. <laughs> it's down. It's completely down. Uh, completely down. And mine, which I've I've negated for quite some time, alexlacy.com, but it is still there. Um, <laughs> not even bothering doing your guideemily.com. Ignore it. Well, I, well I've got a new venture, uh, which is coming. Oh, here we go. Get rich, get rich quick scheme. <laughs> there will be another, another website. <laughs> um, but no, Guide Emily is, is currently down. She's still up and running on Instagram. But uh, but yes, uh, <laughs> for various boring reasons that I won't go into, um, I had to come away from that website. But anyway, how are you? I'm well. I'm well. I can't believe it, it, these weeks are going past so quickly. I can't believe it's podcast time as well. I feel like it goes up and then 20 seconds later we're recording the next week. I can't keep up. It's crazy, isn't it? This time of year, I always feel like we've got so many weeks ahead of Christmas. And, you know, you just you hear people go, oh, it's only Halloween. We've got ages. Why are people talking about baubles now? And then suddenly it's like, oh, my God gotta got to get the tree up and then christmas is here i'm still very much militantly nothing christmas before the first of december oh i'm so not like that (laughs) (laughs) i got these really cute little candy cane christmas lights we're not talking about it emily we're not talking about it oh my god we're not doing it although to be fair i have been going around today looking at all the christmas lights sort of wrecking for christmas lights tours but still um yeah. Hey, hi. Yes, How are you anyway? Up, isn't it? I'm it's, good. Well, it's yes. not all up. It's getting there. There's yes, a lot it's of not stuff. fully up. We should say that the big, um, the big one, which is Annabelle's, the private members club, which we should, probably should do a pod on one week, um, is uh, in the middle of putting up their Christmas mm-hmm. window. The Annabelle's is is the one that go. They go all out for Halloween and for Christmas, and it's taking a week i popped by on i think saturday maybe i was with um with guests and we popped by and they were just starting and i said oh will it be up by the end of today and the guy scoffed at me and went no end of next week i was like oh all right <laughs> um and i walked past again today and there's this amazing big like metalwork structure going up out the front it's a carousel this year wow. um so hopefully by what are we today with tuesday today um hopefully by friday-ish it will be up so i'm going to endeavor to have a little rummage around and, and, and check it out oh, it's so beautiful isn't it i think last year didn't they have their um it was like a gingerbread house yes and they had a uh, swarovski uh kind of crystals. diamonds and crystals yeah. and unbelievable the amount they yeah. put into it i mean it must just cost the earth but it, it looks amazing yeah, I didn't well get to see it. their Halloween one this year. I didn't quite make it there, but oh, it was, it was an like alien. a massive clown. Oh, yes. Oh no, it was an alien. No, clown. Wasn't it? it was clown last was clown. year. Or the was year it, before, yeah, I think. clown last year, but aliens had landed this year. Yeah, yeah. But the clown one was amazing. This massive, scary yeah. clown with this huge open, open mouth for the doorway. This open maw yeah. of death or something. Yeah, yeah. It was bonkers. Um, but anyway, you're all right, are you? I'm all groovy, babes. Yeah, I've just been for a swim. Sorry, the dogs are going mad. 
What, is that just up? me chatting? She's just come in the room. What's up? Oh, what's the problem? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Drama. I think there's a fox. I'm sorry, everyone, if you're listening on the earphones. I think it's a fox in the back garden and she's not happy. Shout out, Tiggy. Anyway. Oh, Tiggy. Um, she's very cute, but she's, she's a lot uh, more entertaining than what I've got to tell than me. you. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. Uh, so, apologies for everyone listening on earphones. Uh, that was Tiggy. Um, who decided to pay us a visit and tell me very loudly she's not happy with something. No, she's not. Oh. But are you, are you happy? Are you uh, having a good week? Yeah, mostly. I've I'm I'm I've got some some lovely new friends that I've made. I'm, I'm making friends, mummy. Um, in mates. I'm making friends. Uh, yeah, I've got this little um co-working space uh, that I go to in Putney, and I've made some really lovely um friend humans in there. Uh, so yeah, it's it's quite nice. And friend I mean, humans, friend they humans. are definitely humans, and also some friend dogs as well. There's a couple of friend well, dogs I was in say, there, which yeah. I'm very happy about. Um, so yeah, it's quite nice, and I'm sort of settling into Putney, even though you know it's a temporary home, but it's taking my house is taking longer than I expected. So, uh, mm, but Putney is lovely. Putney is very lovely nice. place to be. Absolutely, absolutely. What news Phil. from from you? Anything? Um, news? any major news? What's been happening? Dyed um, your hair. I've dyed my hair, yes. So I went all natural, which is a lot of grey. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, I'm ready for this. I, I can do this. You know, I, I want to be natural. And then after two weeks, I was like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> She's raven-haired, listeners. Raven-haired. <laughs> I've got so much lipstick on it. Looks like I've been drinking red wine all day. <laughs> Look very funny. Um, but yes, yes. So, yeah. That's what's been happening. I've dyed my hair. Um, exciting lives like, we lead. <laughs> exciting lives we lead. Yeah, I've had some nice work. Um, it's been I'm bizarrely ob- busy for November, actually, hasn't it? It has, yeah. It hasn't really calmed down like it usually does for November. No. Usually you get a bit of time to go, <gasps> you know, before December. But no, but... we're still exhausted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yes. So, yeah, you're good. Any news? No, not really. That's it. Crack on crack on so, okay <laughs> cool so cracking on uh cracking end on. of last week um we were talking about well you were talking about lots of uh, historic restaurants in london and podcast pedestal wise um we had two options we had rules restaurant and the master carver at simpsons and i genuinely cannot remember which one was my pick you never can it's only never been can. seven days i'm a, bear, a very little days. brain so you went for the rules restaurant oh did i okay okay good lovely yeah, uh, and you went for the Mastercard, and I went for. I did well. It's a bit of a lie, actually, because I didn't. But when I was doing the poll, I was like, "This is what I actually choose." But you knew I wouldn't remember, so it's fine. <laughs> what did you <laughs> but pick I originally? It. Um, I think it was. Um, I know you're gonna uh, shout at me because I keep hitting my leg. You're gonna be like, "Ah, oh, stop banging!" <laughs> um. <laughs> um I can't even remember, but I don't know if you've seen um, the actual post on our Ladies Who London Instagram. Mm. And we've had quite a few people that have um, have said what they want, option one or option two. Mm. And um, Jolly Good saying dodgy leather banquet evenings for the win, which wasn't... Um... It was your bonquette, wasn't it? It was, it was the bonquette. <laughs> that was bonquette. your... Yeah. In fact, um, um, uh, yes, uh, someone has said... Uh, yeah, Kearney said um, uh, rules, although if the dodgy leather ba- bonquette had been on offer, so, you know. I should have put yeah. that. I should have put that as the option. But no, I didn't choose bonquette. I chose the, um, It well, do you know what it was? It was the silver platter. I thought that might have gotten you. It was yeah. the silver platter. And I don't think I knew exactly how to word it. So I went, do you know what? I'm just going to go for the master carver. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, remind me what the, uh, what the scores on the doors are at the moment. What's the... I think we're pretty even Stevens, aren't we? That was my uh that was one of my little tasks for this week to try and work out where we are. Um I'm pretty sure you're winning, but Jolly not good. by not by, you know, mountains. But well this week I, I'm, I'm gonna work that out for the next week. This week I'm winning by another one. Oh, I thought you would be. <laughs> 55% to 45%. So pretty oh, okay. close. So pretty close actually. Pretty close. Yeah. Pretty not bad, not bad. close. Not but bad. you know, it's all—it's okay. got to go rules, isn't it? It's got to go rules, and it's yeah, fancy pants. Maybe. You know, it is a beautiful restaurant. It is really nice. Yeah, really nice. 
And I think you agree the photo that I used just makes it look absolutely sublime. It does. It does. I mean, you're, you're, you're doing the in the chef's hat with the um, the cloche. Uh, also, very nice indeed. Yeah, yeah. Still... Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> so, what are we doing this week, Alex? Well, this week we're going from the posh and the upper crust to the uh, sort of pie crust. Is that a good? Oh. Is that a good link? Well, not really pie crust, but the the people at the bottom who barely had a pie crust amongst them. That's what we're going to go for. Very okay. very tenuous. Um, we are going up to. So we landed in Shoreditch, and um, which is an area that I love. Um, I. I love it for a variety of reasons. I love doing the street art around there. I love the history of the immigration and all the different people that have graced the area. I love doing the food tours up there, which are all linked to immigration and the people that were there and how people um, ate when they were in this very, very poor area of London. Um, and I, I love the vibe. It's it's London for the Londoners. And so there's a little spot that I, I really like. And partly because it's really lovely today. Um, it's very calm, it's very relaxed, but the history behind it really belies that. So it's it's completely different from what it used to be. And this is a place called Arnold Circus. And it's up, if you were coming into Shoreditch High Street Station, you come out of the station, you turn left, you're on the main road there. If you cross straight on over and keep going up about five minutes, you come to this absolutely beautiful circular area with a raised section in the middle with a bandstand on top and beautiful red brick Oh, well, what we sort of describe as old mansion houses, that kind of thing. Not, I don't mean mansions in the way of big country houses, but the way that London used to describe these big multi-tenemented buildings as um, mansion houses. And they, they go in a circle around it. There's a, a school on one side, little streets with boutiques and, uh, and and fancy little restaurants that go off the other side. Um, and it's really, really pretty. It's a gorgeous little spot. However, hasn't always been this way. And I wanted to talk about Arnold Circus and uh, a thing called the Child of the Jago. Have you heard of the Child of the Jago before? I haven't, no. It sounds like a fantastic title to a great book. It is a great book. And um, some people might go, oh, I've seen that name before. If you have been along, um, what's the name of the street? Not Shaftesbury Avenue. The street with all the bookshops on, coming up from Trafalgar Square, Charing Cross Road. Thank oh, you, yeah. Brain. So as it almost meets Shaftesbury Avenue, there is a shop there called Child of the Jago. No relation to the book at all, apart from the fact they've taken the name from it. So don't get mixed up by that. It's a very kind of offbeat fashion shop. It's it, Stuff in there is really lovely, um, but it's not quite linked to the book. So this book uh, we'll come to shortly, but I want to set the scene first. I want to set the scene of the East End of London back in the 1800s, which, as I'm sure most people will know, uh, was a very, very poor area. In fact, one of the poorest areas, not just of the city, but sometimes of the entire country as well. And there's a variety of reasons for this. Um, You're near the docks, so it's a transient population often, or people who jump ship and work their way out. I think we've talked about things like this before. Yeah. Um, you know that 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 thing of of making a new life and and uh, waves of immigration who come in and gradually get richer and and leave and and assimilate into London as a whole. Um, there's a system of copyhold, which is an old uh, medieval system, which is um, essentially it's the whole freehold and and um, leasehold thing where you don't really own the ground that you're house or building might sit on so a lot of people don't really develop that land because there's no point if it's on a short lease you're going to lose the land at some point why bother putting loads of money into developing things you've got all sorts of um, industries that are pretty uh, smelly things like tanning and fulling um, which are all outside of the city of London the city with the capital C city um, who doesn't they don't want to know any of this grim stuff they're not they're not bothered um, they don't want any of the nasty things they want everything can go out outside and so the east end a lot of it um goes out to there um it's downwind so all of your posh houses in the west the 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 coal fires will chuck out all the the grot it will get picked up by the wind and dumped unceremoniously in the east end um you've got the lower paid industries working in the docks and and the industries that go around that um so it's you know there's a whole variety of things that go into this this kind of pot of of the area that is Shoreditch Spitalfields and the East End globally um, as a as a 
uh, an area. And um, into this, we, we, we just need to look at a little bit of some of the details of this area. We have a lot of people in this area who are incredibly poor so poor that it is it's even worse than hand-to-mouth living you know it's it's the case of if you don't earn that morning you do not eat that night Mm. there's all sorts of different trades um in that area and in particular the area that we're talking about didn't used to be known as um the arnold circus or the boundary estate as it is now it was known as a slum called old nickel now if we sort of look at some of the ways that, that people were living uh, in that area, I mean, th- this area was incredibly poor. The The death rate is twice as high as other local areas in the East End, four times the rest of that in the rest of London. Um, 25% of children die before their first birthday in this area. It's pretty hideous. You can have a single house with 60 people in it. Yeah. Um, no, there's obviously no indoor running water, so the streets are filled with, well unmentionable stuff human excrement and all this sort of thing and it's a pretty awful place to go um a maze of of dark alleys where the sun never reaches and it's just pretty pretty hideous and one of the things that um you find in these areas are ways of living and sleeping for people who don't have any other options have you heard of dos houses before i have yes what do you know so the they're essentially places where you would pay a little bit of money, um, you know, a couple of pennies in the 19th century, and you would get a place to sleep, but you'll probably be sharing the room with mm. other people. Mm. Um, you know, they're not very nice. They're kind of uh, the lowest form of paying to stay somewhere. Yeah. And in fact, not even really sharing a room with a couple of people. Sometimes these these rooms are really massive rooms with loads of people and and some of the 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 poorest there were ways that you could sleep which well you could try and sleep there's one called the penny sit-up now this is sort of as as the name would suggest you pay a penny and what you have is a series of i mean to look at a a picture of it and we'll maybe try and put some on the uh, on the instagram this week it almost looks like a classroom there are people sitting at desks um, with wooden chairs that you're sitting on and you can pay to basically sit there on a bench all night in the hall. Now, realistically, you ain't going to be able to sleep particularly well. Um, you're not allowed mm. to kind of lie down on them or slump over. Um, yeah, you're paying for, for a roof over your head and you're not really paying for the right to sleep. Um, they're not heated, these rooms. You're not getting any food or anything like that. It's literally a roof over your head. And it's marginally better than being on the street. You don't get that many women there. You, you do get some, but it's mostly men that tend to go there. Have you heard of the, the two-penny hangover? Yes, this is where you are sleeping over a piece of rope, I believe. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, I mean, and again, we'll put some pictures up. Oh, the fox is back, I think. Um, the um, You'd have a, a rope that went, well, several ropes that went across the room, quite big, thick ropes. And for 2p... You could shush. Hang on. I'm back. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. um, so what were we talking about? Two penny hangovers. Yes. So um, these were where you, you paid obviously 2p and these massive ropes would be stretched across the room and fixed on either side. And you could then sit or, or sometimes even stand and hang over the rope and try and get whatever sleep you, ca- you could um, at that point. So it's, marginally better um and what they would tend to do at about five or six in the morning so that you know you get your money's worth but no more they would either cut the rope or untie the rope so you could have unceremoniously dumped in a heap on the floor um and again these places aren't heated it it was not uncommon to find that somebody had frozen to death during the night in particular in the you know in the harsh winter so again not particularly brilliant the best option, unless you could afford for, you know, um, your own room somewhere, um, which if you could, you wouldn't be going to these DOS houses, was the, what were known as the coffins. Now, these are slightly creepy. These are, well, they look like coffins. They are mm. wooden boxes, all side by side in this massive room. And they were mostly offered by the Salvation Army, who were the first people to realise that actually 
some help was needed and you'd be allowed to lie down actually lie down in one of these and they could be maybe four or five p depending on where you were going um you'd be given a, an oil cloth which you could pull over as a sort of duvet of some description um you might even get a cup of tea a bowl of soup a chunk of bread something like that so you might even get a little bit of food with that too but you can tell it, it's it's pretty awful um so this is this is the kind of ways that people are living um in this area and there's a chap that comes into the the east end in the 1880s um a guy called charles booth um i'm sure you've heard of charles booth before what might he be famous for well he's uh famous for the salvation army no that's the other one that's william oh booth. am i thinking of william booth oh charles booth He's the poverty map guy. Oh, the other one. Of course he is. <laughs> Booth's maps. Absolutely. So in 1889, Charles Booth publishes a really comprehensive map um, of London. You can find them online and they are, I, I, I don't know about you, I love maps. Um, I find yeah, them I do. Really, you, can, you can tell so much. You look at a map and it, it's all there for you. And what he did is he had realised that... Uh, you know, life was pretty hideous for a lot of people in London. And he was looking at the extremes between the really rich and the really poor. And he thought to himself, I'm going to go on a, a kind of campaign to sort of draw light to that. And he basically spent quite a number of years essentially walking through the streets of London and talking to people and finding out what the poverty was literally street by street. And he then colour coded them all on this huge, huge map. And they are so descriptive. It's unbelievable. He he did this himself. He wasn't paid to do it. Um, he, he, you know, nobody went, oh, we need this. Go and have a look and, and we'll pay you for it. None of that. He thought, I'm going to do this. And there were seven different classifications. It went from uh, quite a sort of bright yellowy gold, which is often in the west of London, which was upper middle class, uh, upper classes, wealthy. Then you went for sort of your reds and oranges, which are well-to-do middle class fairly comfortable on and on we go until you get to the dark blue and the black which now the black is listed as the lowest class vicious and semi-criminal and in this area of london old nickel slums and the streets around there this whole area is just a swathe of black these sunless alleyways tiny little mazes of streets which are filled with people you know, these are places that the police were too scared to go down alone, so they'd have to go down mm. in groups and, and, you know, it's pretty awful. And he, so when this is published, this is this is quite a big deal. And people start looking at it and going, oh my goodness, this is, you know, really seeing very starkly that difference between the rich and the poor. Oh, I think we've spoken quite a lot and we've talked about quite a few Victorian philanthropists who pop up in the 1800s and go, oh, well, more towards the latter part and go, oh, let's do things. And they're often very well-meaning uh not always the most kind of well um i guess aimed or visioned i suppose is a way of, of putting it would you say yeah they kind of they, they want to do stuff but they just don't always know how to do it so talking about old nickel in particular now there's a lot of trades in the area there are tailors shoemakers weavers carpenters costermongers all sorts of things and there was one report that in 1844 that said and i quote Conditions were far worse than in a northern industrial parish, that population density was 8.6 people to a small house and that there were 1,400 houses in an area less than 400 yards square Gosh. or 370 metres square, which is about equal. So that is an awful lot of people. Mm. And you can imagine they're just crammed in cheek by jowl and it only gets worse over the coming years. Um there was an author, a guy called Henry Mayhew, who visited in 1850. And I want to read you what he said about it. And this is, this is wonderfully kind of poetic, but it, it gives you a sense of what it was like. Roads were unmade, often mere alleys, houses small and without foundations, subdivided and often around unpaved courts. An almost total lack of drainage and sewerage was made worse by the ponds formed by the excavation of brick earth. Pigs and cows in backyards, noxious trades like boiling tripe, melting tallow or preparing cat's meat and slaughterhouses, dust heaps and lakes of putrefying night soil added to the filth. Now, 
people might remember from a couple of weeks ago, the week that you were um, unfortunately not able to join us, Emily, we did talk with Fiona about night soil. Basically, it's it's the it's the poo. It's the, um, you know, the sort of. Yes. The, 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 the dreams, if you like. It just makes you think like it, it's understandable that people are willing to pay money to sleep on a bit of rope rather than be outside. Mm. Yeah. It's, it just goes to show you how terrible it would have been out on the streets. Absolutely. And, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. So as it gets closer towards the end of the 1800s, this place just, you know, it becomes crazy. And so this is a, a Victorian slum and it starts to get called in about the 1860s called a rookery. And a rookery mm. is a Victorian term for kind of for a slum um, called a rookery because they see people sort of perched, you know, on doorsteps and, and places all kind of side by side like rooks in a in a um well a rookery really um and often it's linked with criminality with prostitution with you know all sorts of poverty and thievery and all that kind of thing and there was a book that was brought out in 2008 by a lady called sarah wise and it's called the blackest streets and i want to just read you a little bit of it because it tells you um gives you a, a real sense so, so sort of adding on to what we've heard from henry mayhew and it says the streets were so narrow that people had to turn sideways and move crab-like along. It was also a criminal enclave with its strange geography assisting a street robber or sneak thief in, its, in his dash to safety. A two-roomed tenement in Anne's Place, a little court off the western edge of Boundary Street, is described as walls running with damp and the meagre fire burning in the grate has drawn some of the moisture out of the plaster, creating a small local fog. This is home to a married couple with six children. There's no bed, and when you ask them how they sleep, the wife replies, Oh, we sleep about the room how we can. Gosh. Walk through a hole into the wall in the wall into the second room, and you'll see the husband and two adolescent sons making uppers for boots. They're so busy they don't even look up or gesture. They're haggard and hollow cheeked. So you get a sense of what it's like. And and she mentions this um the moisture in the plaster. There was uh, the we've talked a little well briefly at the start about the land lease thing mm -hmm. um so you get builders who are kind of going to do it on the cheap and and half ass it a little bit because the guys who own the land don't really care what happens to it or what goes on on it as long as they're making money from it um so um, another little quote that, that she's put in this book about the actual stuff that they use. Instead of using traditional mortar, the speculative builders found a cheaper lime-based substance derived from the byproducts of soap making. This, in bracket or in, in quotation marks, cement was known as Billy Sweet and quickly became infamous for never thoroughly drying out and so leading to sagging, unstable walls. Oh, God. I know. So if you imagine, these houses, often a lot of them don't have foundations. Mm. Um, you've got this, this really soggy... Uh, sort of faux cement that's used as, as kind of mortar um you're gonna get walls that are sagging in roofs that are, 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 are collapsing in as well rotting plaster work and any of the wood that's in there is going to start rotting from the damp um and so you've got this house that is in basically entirely soggy or moldy the entire time which is just not i mean yeah it's pretty it's pretty hideous what did you what did you call it billy billy sweet Billy Sweet. I haven't heard, yeah. heard that before. Billy yeah. Sweet. Wow. Now, what happens is in... So after um, your man um, Booth uh, publishes his his poverty maps, you know, people start to, to think about this. And um, the, the old nickel slum is really very much at the heart um, of all of this. There is a chap called Arthur Morrison who decides he's going to come and have a little look at um the old nickel slum well in fact he's sort of invited there's a guy who who moves in in the 1880s who is a local um uh, priest and he invites um arthur morrison to come and have a little look and he says look you know i i really think you should come and have have a, a look at this this is the reverend osborne jay his name is of, of holy trinity church and he, he he goes come and have a look it's really bad the poverty is extreme you've seen this map that's been produced and uh, you know you're an author maybe you can help and arthur morrison visits the old nickel slum 
And then what he does is he goes away and he writes a book. This is the book called The Child of the Jago. Mm-hmm. It's published in 1896. Now, ironically, by this point, by the time the book is actually published, slum clearance has already started and demolition has already started to take place in the old nickel slum. But the book is really um, helpful in getting people to realise the problem in these slums. So in 1896, it comes out and he has fictionalised old nickel and he's called it instead um uh hang about i've forgotten what he's called it <laughs> um it'll come back to me um old, old jago yeah the, so the name old jago is what he calls it and i say it's fictionalized he's not really bothered covering it up too much in fact he still uses some of the same street names and things like that and the whole story um revolves around this little boy called dickie parrot and the whole story basically starts from Dickie Parrot as a really young little boy kind of innocent of the world who is living in this area and it it details his corruption from being a very innocent decent small child into a violent criminal little boy and it talks about violence um, poverty neglect and it really shocks people so I just want to read you the very start um, of the book the whole book opens on a really hot summer's night it's just after midnight um they talk about lots of the residents being likened to they're they're likened to great rats running around and they're preferring to sleep in the street rather than in the houses because it's so um, oppressively hot um it also talks about a man who's um, lured into a house by a woman he's then brutally kind of coshed over the head he's robbed um and dragged into the street where people kind of you know loot him and take off all his you know take his clothes and steal them and then dicky parrot this little boy is about eight is making his way home um he finds his mother and his poor little baby sister um with nothing to eat and as dawn breaks over this monstrously hot place his father returns with um a club in his hand which is covered in blood and hair so it suggests that he's also been involved in another robbery somewhere and this is just the the whole kind of standard so i'm just going to read you the first paragraph or two of this book um which doesn't go into any of the violence but just sort of puts the whole thing into context so ready for my dramatic reading oh please it was past the mid of a summer night in the old jago the narrow street was all the blacker for the lurid sky for there was a fire in the farther part of shoreditch and the welkin which is another word for the sky the welkin was an infernal coppery glare below the hot heavy air lay a rank oppression on the contorted forms of those who made for sleep on the pavement and in it and through it all there rose from the foul earth and the grimed walls a close mingled stink the odour of the jago from where off Shoreditch High Street, so you see he's not really kind of sugarcoating this, he's telling no. you exactly where it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a narrow passage set across with posts gave menacing entrance on one end of old Jago Street to where the other end lost itself in the black beyond Jago Row. From where Jago Row began south at Meakin Street to where it ended north at Honey Lane, there the Jago for 100 years, the blackest pit in London, lay and festered. And halfway along old Jago Street, a narrow archway gave upon Jago Court the blackest hole in all that pit. A square of 250 yards or less, that was all there was of the Jago. But in that square, the human population swarmed in thousands. Oh my so that's the gosh. opening two paragraphs of this book. So you I can need see. to read this. I need yeah. to find out what happens to Dickie Parrot. Yeah. Spoiler. It's not good. Oh. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm for that very reason. I did sort of toy with the idea of talking through the plot a little bit, but I'm quite up for reading the whole thing. I've read a synopsis and I, I don't want to spoil it for people. So we've given you a few, a few books along the way on this podcast, but I think that would be one that, um, you know, might be quite good to go and see. Yeah. So, Arthur Morrison, very much, he, he actually says outrightly that when he writes this book, The Child of the Jago, he, he wants to show this corruption of this boy who, to all intents and purposes, is an innocent young boy mm. who could have achieved so much um, by very virtue of where he's born and where he grows up. And no matter what good things he wants to do, whatever, you know, possibilities he's got, his destiny is... Uh, sort of written large in the jago and he can't really escape it that is that's his his destiny that's his his end whether he wants to or not um this book caused quite a stir it definitely caused 
a lot of shock in the probably middle class communities who were really shocked about, oh my goodness, this this sounds terrible. We didn't realise it was this bad. And a few literary critics get their knickers in a twist and he said that in a few say oh you're exaggerating it and you're exaggerating the viciousness and it's not that bad and all this kind of thing and Arthur Morrison says I've seen it I've been there I've done it Mm. and there's a very famous book that was written in 1902 by Jack London and it's called People of the Abyss Um, and it's written uh, by Jack London talking about his experience He, he went to the east end of London he apparently spent several weeks living in the Whitechapel area. So not quite um, where the um, old nickel slum was. Uh, by this point, it has actually gone, um, but not not too far away. And he lives with a family. He sleeps in workhouses. He, he does a whole variety of different ways of living. And it's he writes The People of the Abyss. And apparently he was inspired to go and do that from uh, The Child of the Jago. He read that and went, I've got to go and see this myself. And so he went there. In turn, Jack London's book then inspired George Orwell's uh, book, Down and Out in London and Paris. Oh, really? So there's quite a lot of, you know, knock on. So it's clearly working. He's written this this book yeah. and everyone's gone, oh, actually, that sounds, you know, quite intense. So let's go and have a look. Now, this old nickel slum, uh, it, it is decided that, well, the Victorian... Um, authorities such as they are there's a new organization that starts up called the london county council which you know now is very much what's been it's morphed into different things but of course it's been around for a long time or the lcc as it's known um they decide that okay we need to start clearing some of these worst slums and we're going to start with um old nickel we're going to start with that and we're going to create a new in fact the world's oldest world's first i should say in this case a council estate um, it's known as the Boundary Estate or Arnold Circus, which is the lovely circular spot that I, I mentioned at the very start. Um, and it's very, very unique. Now, this was going to be their flagship development. It's, as I mentioned, this circular spot with these beautiful kind of curved lines and just gorgeous houses. Um, you, in the centre point, you have the actual Arnold Circus bit, which is realistically the, the middle bit of it. And it's a kind of community garden. And it is this big sort of raised up, clearly man-made sort of hillock on the top of which is a bandstand, which is actually grade two listed. And as are some of the buildings around now. And that hillock contains the remains of old nickel slum. So it never went anywhere. And as they knocked it down, they decided, well, let's just get all of that rubble. We'll dump it in the middle and we will make this man-made hill so that people can have this garden, this bandstand. It's a really lovely spot to go and sit and there's trees everywhere and you can just hear the birds oh, tweeting. It's, it's very, very relaxed and chilled. Yeah. And it's quite weird to think that that slummy, you know, uh, existence with possibly um, that billy sweets and, and all those crumbly walls is now underneath that circus in the middle. I didn't realise that. I didn't realise that they used... What was there before to create the mound? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not maybe all of it, because I suspect there would have been quite a lot of rubble yeah, yeah, still. Yeah, yeah. And so what they did is they decided, uh, they, they decided, they d- designed, I can't even talk now, um, uh, they designed these blocks which contained, each block contained about 10, well, between 10 and 80 tenements in each one. So they're all different sizes and the actual apartments are different sizes. It could house a total of um, just over a thousand tenants or tenements rather, um, which then could in turn house five, about 5,000 people, five and a half thousand people. So you're looking at sort of five to six per, per tenement. And it was, this was this, like I say, this flagship project. That was a big yawn, Emily. <laughs> So sorry, did you see that? We heard it. <laughs> so sorry. We are isn't recording it? this quite late. It's not because you're not. It's nine thirty, Grandma. Come no, on. No, I've got half an hour until I should have my nightcap on. We <laughs> turn into a pumpkin. <laughs> anyway, if you don't mind. <laughs> No, please carry on. <laughs> um, so what was I saying about it uh, being a flagship? So yeah, um, it was this flagship one. So the whole point was that they were creating this. They were supposed to be setting a new standard for how they wanted people to live. And there were, um, there was a new laundry. There were shops. There were workshops. There were churches. There were a couple of schools, and um, the 
old nickel was demolished in the um, 1892, 93. And then this was, this started to be built in 1893. So by the time the child of the Jager comes out, this is already well underway. And it was so successful in terms of, you know, a, a building project that the Prince of Wales himself opened the estate in 1900. Um, and he actually re referenced Child of the Jago in his opening speech. He said, you know, if you've read this book, you won't forget this spot. And we know what happened here and what went on here. And so we're, we're thrilled that look at this amazing estate, these, these huge, big, lovely buildings and and that, that the Child of the Jago is behind us. However, not quite as easy as that, because when they formed these new buildings, of course, they were a lot nicer. Um, the new blocks could house, I mean, I said about five, five and a half thousand people. That was a significantly less than the number of people that used to live there. And the um, the rents went up quite considerably. In fact, they, they quadrupled the rent. So the whole point was to be able to house these people from this slum in nicer accommodation, healthier stuff, you know, not just getting rid of all this slum stuff. But actually, realistically, they couldn't afford that. They couldn't afford so it where at all. Did they, where did they move them to? Well, they didn't really move them so much as the people just sort of pushed, got pushed out, really. Oh. And they went further out to sort of Bethnal Greenway and, and kind of Dalston and places like that, which now, of course, again, pretty shishi, but um, back then it was mm. the next sort of wave of, um, you know, just push them out. It's that, it's that classic thing of, we don't want this here, so we're going to make it nicer, but we're not that bothered about what happens to the people. Mm. So that's what I mean about the Victorians having this sense of we've got to make it better, but not thinking through all the consequences of it. Yeah. So interesting. So who does come and move in? Well, um, this is where we start to see one of our big waves of immigration. Lots of Jewish people came in to live here. And in the 1870s, um, they start coming in and you know as they come in greater numbers suddenly there's all these places and they, they take over um, this area and there's there's you know the entire area pretty much they say 90 percent of the children who are raised in that area are raised with yiddish as their first language the school there's a little school that still exists as a school called virginia primary um in 1900 yeah 90 percent of the kids there spoke yiddish today however of course the east end has changed quite considerably and the jewish community has more or less moved um, to different areas of london and assimilated more into london as a whole um and the following wave was bengali as we've spoken about before mm -hmm. so um today about 70 percent of the children there speak um bengali as a, as a first language um, and now, because of the laws that were passed in the 1980s, um, allowing people to be able to buy their council houses, um, there's it's about 50% privately owned now. And there's probably around 1,500 people that live and work in the Boundary Estate. So from those numbers, if you imagine five to six people per tenement, of course, we live quite differently now. We don't tend to live with multiple generations. A lot of people live on their own. So numbers in those houses have gone down um it is an absolutely beautiful spot though and i highly recommend if you're in the area if you're doing some street art or brick lane market on a sunday just take a little tootle up there you'll be surprised within five minutes it's very very different and i decided i would go rummaging on zoopla i wanted to find out what oh my gosh the well cost is because they are beautiful beautiful they are. homes they are so i did find a flat that had been sold in 2021 it was a two-bed flat 74 square meters um on our or actually on our circus so what there if you go into the little side roads they are marginally cheaper but i wanted to see what one was like on the actual circus yeah six hundred and twenty-two thousand. oh i thought it would have been more well that i mean that is a i mean that's nearly three quarters of a million for a two-bed flat it is but in that area i mean when you walk around shoreditch now you know it's, it's so hard to believe of everything that you've just told us in the way that uh, how people lived so and you know it's it's got so many amenities in terms of being close to central london and liverpool yep. street station that under 700 in london in that area mm. is you know god we've been so uh, <laughs> horrible to say that's not as we've been so conditioned to london prices we're like oh it's under a million that's cheap <laughs> i know <laughs> absolutely terrible but i can't yeah. live anywhere but if you you know if you think um ne nearly three quarters of a million and if you rewind a hundred years it would have been you know social housing and yeah you would have been charged a an awful lot less um you know very very little for that 
It's wow. unbelievable, really. It really is. And it is such a pretty place. And I've walked through in the summertime and there's been like different um, people singing under the bandstand and it's quite a peaceful place, isn't it? It's lovely. I absolutely love it. It's a really gorgeous spot. And so often, yeah, if I'm in the area and I've got some time to kill, I will just go and sit there and read a book or, you know, just chill and listen to the birds. And so I kind of remember how it used to be because, yeah, far from what it is now. Wow. So there we go. Gosh. That is the uh, Arnold Circus Boundary Estate and uh, Child of the Jago. Mm. So when you see I'm just that looking shop at, next I'm time, just, you'll know. Yeah, I'm just looking at a couple of photos of the houses and they really are just so beautiful. It's mm. kind of got that, um, oh, what's that thing on TV called? Uh, called the Midwife. Tubbies? Oh, call the Midwife. <laughs> I do watch that nowadays. Unfortunately, <laughs> fortunately, that has worked into my into my world. Um, but yeah, call the midwife. It's got that kind of um, like you know old terracotta brick, big mm. doors. Uh, Beautiful. Yes, arts and crafts style. If, if anyone's they are familiar with arts and crafts, board that's print true. on top of the doors. Yeah. That's really lovely. Yeah. Wow. So go. Gosh, thank you, Alex. Well, I didn't. I didn't really know how how bad it was around there. I know, <laughs> I mean, I know I mean, obviously Spitalfields is so so well known for being terrible slums but the way that you described that area was uh it's yeah it's, it's quite a lot shocking. isn't it when you think about it and and I, I really do want to read this book now and and get a, get a grip on it and, and what happened listen. to Dickie mm. do you want me to tell you I'll tell no, you I I'll don't. tell you no. <laughs> I'll tell you not on the recording because I want to ruin yeah, it yeah no I want to discover what happened to Dickie myself <laughs> Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Podcast Pedestal. So, uh, podcast pedestal. Yes. You know what you're going to go for? I do, but I'm going to let you choose first because it's your week. Okay. Um, I think I'm, and this is someone that I am a, a big fan of, and I, I it's one of my favourite things to talk about on tours in this area. I am going to go for Charles Booth's Poverty Map. Mm, good one. Because I love it, and and we will put some pictures up. Um, if you go to, well, it's a, it's about to close, so um, hurry up or wait until it opens again. The um, Museum of London, they have a whole section on Charles Booth's poverty map, and it's actually as a, as a just as a piece, it's very beautiful. Um, you can look at it online. They've got you can go on this website and you can sort of zoom in and, and find you know your street in London and what was the the wealth like and all that kind of thing. Um, but it's really it, it's put it's put into stark relief that the divide between rich and poor and I mean what an amazing thing for him to do going this needs looking at I'm just going to devote my time to doing this yeah that's it really so absolutely he must have spoke to so many different people and been um you know such an observer yeah yeah it would have been amazing and the things he would have seen and probably a couple of little dangerous spots he might have been into as well yeah yeah definitely Oh, okay. Well, that's a, that's a very, very good one. What are you going Charlie for? Charlie Booth. Um, I think I'm going to have to go for the two penny hangover mm. because I think that that really demonstrates how terrible it was to, to be outside in this part of London, that you were willing to put yourself through such a horrible night's sleep. And as you say, they cut the rope and they bang their head. And, um, you know, you'd probably be in there with all sorts of crazy people that probably had a little bit too much to drink and you're Mm. next to them on the rope and they're not shutting up or (laughs) they keep moving or exactly yes i think think the two penny hanover it's such a it's such a visual it uh, is thing it's it's you look at it and when you look at the pictures of it there are a few pictures online um actual photos um and a few sketches as well obviously and you look at you go oh my god and you can see in their faces you just think you've you've not had an easy time have you and now you're no. sitting here trying to you know hang over a rope to get some sleep so that you don't end up you know sleeping on the street and getting a knife in your ribs or whatever it's yeah uh, 
And it must have been because, you know, obviously when you fall asleep, you put all of your weight into wherever you are, laying or standing or whatever. So all of the weight must have gone towards the rope and they must have got, you know, some serious kind of uh, burn marks under their arms. Could not have been comfortable. No. So, yes, I'm going to go for the two penny hangover. Okay, good choice. Good choice. Thank you. I was also tempted to go for the Billy... Uh, the 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 um Billy Sweet Billy Sweet, yes, because I I I didn't know about that, and I think that says so much about you know how poor it was in the area that they they just didn't even care about the the buildings and the foundations where people lived. But I am going to go for the two penny hangover. Fabulous! All right, those are your picks this week, gang. <laughs> uh, check Great. on Instagram for for those options. The Wheel of Destiny. Wheel of Destiny time. What's happening? Well, I'm ready. You ready? Crack on. Oh, it's landed. I put this on ages ago. I know what I wanted to talk about in this area, but it's never landed here. It's Euston. Ah, okay. Um. So, yeah, I know <laughs> straight away. Oh, can so I guess? I, I bet. I bet I know what it's going to oh, be. Oh, yeah, it's probably quite obvious, isn't is it? The Welcome Go Collection. On. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> I love the Welcome Collection Goth so guy much. Can't make so many comeback. weird and crazy, absurd things that you see in in there that just kind of stay with you. Um, but I'm going to talk about Henry Welcome himself, and okay. I'm going to talk about the birth of the tablet, the paracetamol. The no, 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 darling. The medication. Oh, okay, fine. Yes. Yeah, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, about the collection itself, and yeah, about uh, a bit about medicine. Fantastic. Cool. Amazing. Well, that's for next week. That's for next um, week. Thank you all for coming this week. We really appreciate you being here. <laughs> we we will, really uh... do. <laughs> oh, please go and leave us a review. I don't think anyone's left uh... any reviews for a while. If you can't be bothered to leave a review, leave one anyway. It's the law. <laughs> It's uh, the you law. have to do it. It's the law. Go and, and please make it nice. We are humans after all. If you don't like us, just don't say anything. Uh, yeah, please don't. <laughs> we can't take it anymore. We <laughs> genuinely can't take it. It's ruining our souls. Um, but otherwise, we will see you next week for yes. um, a little bit of chat about some medicinal stuff. Cool. Can't wait. <laughs> see you then. Bye. Bye. Have a good week, people. Bye. Bye.